0: My guess is that pride and all of its poison has hurt your heart as well. And you know, pride is the major sin in the Bible. Pride is what caused the devil to rebel in heaven. Uh, Pride is what causes all of us to rebel against God as well.
1: Battling the snare of pride. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. How should we respond when the pernicious problem of pride creeps into our thought life? Today, David continues our study of the Gospel of John. We'll be in the third chapter where John's apparent competition with Jesus could become an issue. Here's David with a message called The Problem of Pride.
0: Hi, everyone. Uh, I have some of my most favorite verses in all of the Bible to preach to you today as we continue our march through the Gospel of John this year. We're in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. Please get your Bibles, open them up, follow along on your devices, take some notes. Parents, teach these messages to your children because they are so important. I'm going to deal with the subject of how to overcome the pernicious problem of pride today. We're going to look at the character John the Baptizer who will give us insights in how to do that and I hope it will be very meaningful for all of you today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, whom we'll see in these verses outlined as such, one God in three persons, I pray, especially in the name of Jesus, the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus, that these words will help people overcome the problem of pride. I pray that humility would fill their hearts as they see the importance of that. I pray that they would choose joy over jealousy as they read these verses with me. And I pray, Father, you would use me for your glory for I am nothing, you are everything. I must decrease in the remaining years that I have on this planet and you must increase for you alone are God. Thank you for being with me today. Use this message for your glory and again and finally, I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, my Lord and my savior, amen. So in these verses, uh, we're going to go from Nicodemus being the major character interacting with Jesus to John the baptizer being the central character of these verses. Again, John the third chapter, verses 22 through 26. Indeed, John the baptizer is one of the most important people in all of the Bible. And we'll see why in greater depth today. So let's look at these verses. Let's begin with verse 22. It begins with these two words, after this. Well, after what? after Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, where he said to him clearly, Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God not you might be or maybe it will happen. You must be born again of the Holy Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus must be the king of the kingdom. He must rule your heart in every possible way. And if you don't have me at the center of your life, born again in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And they intersected and ask questions with one another about this particular experience, and then Jesus left Nicodemus. So after that encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Question that some people ask, did Jesus himself ever baptize? In next week's message, in the story of the Samaritan woman, which John Casey is going to preach, and I look forward to hearing John's interpretation of that text, in John 4, 1, it's clear Jesus did not baptize anyone. Later you'll see that the great apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament only baptized two people and I think that's because Paul didn't want people to clamor to him to say only you can baptize me. Similarly Jesus let his disciples baptize but he baptized no one. But the disciples did baptize and it was an important part of their ministry. Now let me pause here for a second and talk about baptism. It should be a very important part of all of our lives. And here, biblically, is how baptism is supposed to work. First of all, you're born again. There's this spiritual rebirth in you, Jesus on the throne of your heart, and you are now a part of his kingdom, him ruling within you. Then you do baptism. Uh, You go under the waters, signifying your death to self. You come out of the water being raised to new life in Christ. It's an outward sign of the inward new birth that has happened in your heart. Uh, It's a little bit like this ring that I have around my finger that Marilyn put there 42 years ago. Now, this ring symbolizes her eternal covenant to me. She has said that she's going to stay married to me, praise God, in better or worse, sickness and health, richer or poorer, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. And so it's an outward sign of an inward reality, if I should ever doubt Marilyn's love for me, I should remember. She placed this ring on me as an outward sign of the inward reality of her covenant commitment to me. Similarly, baptism is an outward reality of that inward reality of Jesus' love for you. And if you should ever doubt Jesus' love for you, you should remember your baptism. You should remember the water coming over you as you chose to die to self and then the new life, the new breath as you came out of that water, as you chose to live totally and completely for Jesus. Then the third step is you are born again, you're baptized, then you repent that is a word that needs to be reclaimed in Christendom. It's a word that's been too often missing in action. Repentance means changing your lifestyle. The word literally in the Greek means metanoia and changing the way you think. It means you think Jesus' thoughts, you choose to do his will, and then your emotions will naturally follow. So some people say that the best definition of repent is stop it. (laughs) (laughs) that's one definition you do stop the behavior that is destroying you and the people around you but more so you start moving continually toward Jesus and replacing your old life with his new life yes it's a process you're never going to be perfect but he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1 6 and on that death day when you go be with Jesus he will complete your perfection in him until then we are in process more and more becoming like him so that That's what is interesting in the process of these verses you see first of all there is Jesus teaching on being born again then you see the baptism of many people through the disciples question mark was Nicodemus one of those was he born again in his encounter with Jesus in the first part of John 3 Did he go out with the disciples to be baptized because he knew that was important? And of course, we're going to see later on in John, he did repent, he had a new life. He did become a true follower of Jesus. But the disciples were baptizing out in some area. John, verse 23, also was baptizing at Aonon near Salim because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Let's stop there. Now, John, the baptizer, was Jesus' cousin. He was about six months older. They were surely raised together. They knew each other intimately. I don't think there's any doubt John saw in Jesus a special something. And we saw earlier in John 1 that John actually baptized Jesus, not because he needed cleansing from his sin. It was, first of all, to show us that we needed it, and as we follow Jesus, we follow him into the baptismal pool, but also secondly because the inauguration of the kingdom of God happened at that baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and the Father said at that moment, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Isn't that interesting? There's the Father speaking those words, there's the Son being baptized, and there's the Holy Spirit who comes upon him. One God in three persons, yet one of many examples in the Bible of the Trinity. Uh, So we see Jesus' baptism having taken place then and there. And John was the one who did it. And I think John saw at that moment, especially that Jesus was God in human flesh. He knew who he was and he would point to him and say to his disciples and others, behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see that in John the first chapter as well. John the baptizer knew who Jesus was. So he began his ministry. He was a rather rough character, ate locusts and wild honey, had a very rugged dress attire. And he went out and he just preached a simple message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And many people started following him. And he and his uh, followers began to baptize dozens, maybe even hundreds of people, the following was great now before we get more into depth how big that following was there is verse 24 a parenthesis that John added where he said for John had not yet been put in prison Uh, we know in Mark the first chapter that John later was put in prison because of his challenge to Herod of stealing his brother's wife And John thought that was horrific for a Jewish king to do so. He publicly stated it. Herod didn't like it. He put him into prison and ultimately had him beheaded. Here's the deal, folks. For those of you who think that ministers should not speak to different political issues, you're not honoring A, the tradition of the prophets in the Old Testament, B, of John the baptizer who spoke to power and said, this leader is behaving abysmally in an immoral sexual way, it cost him his life. Moreover, Jesus spoke to power as well as did the apostle Paul. Sometimes those of us who love Jesus, proclaim the gospel, but sometimes there are gospel implications where we've got to speak truth to power and I'm unafraid to do so. Any faithful follower of Jesus who's a minister of the gospel can't be afraid to do so as well. So just a note from John the evangelist who wrote the gospel of John about John the baptizer, he had not yet been put into prison. That was going to happen some months later, but he would lose his life because of his willingness to proclaim truth. So let's keep moving forward into verse 25. Now, a discussion arose among some of John's disciples and a Jew. Uh, Some of your translations might have Jews, but really the more faithful translation is a Jew, one person. Who could that have been? May I offer this suggestion? Could it have been Nicodemus? That he had followed Jesus and his disciples out to be baptized and he first encountered John's disciples? and they began a discussion between them over purification. Probably, you know, Jews did baptism even before Jesus. It was a purification process. Then of course, John and Jesus' baptism had much more to do with the cleansing of your sin and repentance. It could be they were debating purification versus repentance. What does this really mean? Verse 26, and they, John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. (laughs) John's disciples come to John and say, hey, the one that you baptized and the one that you bore witness about, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's now baptizing over there. We're in Anon in Salim and he's down there in another part of the Jordan. We've got plenty of water. We're able to baptize. looks like he does too. And, and, and people are starting to follow him in great numbers. And even some of your followers are beginning to follow him. Now, here's what's going on. Their pride is bruised. They had started this movement with John the baptizer and dozens, maybe even hundreds were coming to him to be baptized and they were feeling proud about being part of this movement and they really enjoyed being with John the baptizer and seeing him succeed. And then suddenly John the baptizer's Twitter followers start dropping. They start to unfollow him. His Facebook followers start decreasing in numbers, as does his Instagram. And they're sitting there going, not only are they leaving us, but they're going to him whom you bore witness about. You were the one who preceded him. Your ministry started six months before his. I mean, I know you're related. I know he's your cousin, but man, we were going strong and now all of our people are leaving us. The disciples are struggling with competition. They're struggling with pride. They're struggling in a ministry term with numbers, <laughs> that numbers define whether you're successful or not. And when people who are on your team leave your team and go join another team, you feel, oh man, I'm a failure. And, and may I take just a moment of being raw and real with all of you, I, I've been doing this ministry gig for over 40 years and if my wife Marilyn was here she would testify that this is true it's an ugly side of my heart that the Lord just had to deal with you know I'm very competitive I mean I played collegiate basketball and at a professional level in the European leagues for three years thereafter so competition was drilled into me from the earliest possible days and so when I started ministry that part of my nature was still there Uh, The church I used to pastor began to grow pretty soon after Marilyn and I came. It never had astronomical growth like we read with some of these churches that go from zero to 5,000 in three years. I mean, that never happened in my ministry. What happened to me was we'd have two to three hundred who would join every year. So, ever, over almost 40 years of ministry, that church grew largely, but it was not astronomical, quick growth. It was slow, steady growth. But during that time period, there were other churches that would come on the scene and they would start growing more than that church. And I would start feeling jealousy. <laughs> I did. And then we would have people who were a part of that church who would leave and go to this other church that was growing. And I would ask the Lord, why is that happening? And I would too often go to Maryland and say, I don't know why so-and-so who's a part of our church is leaving and going to that church. My insides would crash folks. And, and I defined my identity and who would come, who would stay and who would not leave? And when again they would leave and go to another church, I would deal with the questions of what's going on Lord? I don't like this at all, my heart is hurting. And that's what was going on with John's disciples. They had built up a strong ministry baptizing many people and then Jesus comes along the scene some months later and his ministry zooms and skyrockets and even more than just people going to Jesus, Some, maybe a lot of John's disciples started following Jesus as well. And these disciples just just didn't get it. Their hearts were crushed. They were so disappointed. And the reason is because they found their identity in the numbers that followed their ministry. I really get that and know what they were experiencing. But John the baptizer then spends the rest of this text teaching them, teaching me, and teaching all of you because I bet you the green-eyed monster of envy has eaten your heart a few times in life. I bet you the God of jealousy has consumed you as well. My, My guess is that pride and all of its poison has hurt your heart as well. And you know, pride is the major sin in the Bible. All other sins come from pride. Pride is what caused the devil to rebel in heaven. Uh, Pride is what causes all of us to rebel against God as well. And several of the rotten fruit of the root of pride in our heart are envy and jealousy. Finding our identity in people. By the way, have you figured out people make lousy gods? And people's coming and going determines whether you feel like you are successful or not. So John in verse 27 answered. And what John did in the next verses is he gives us seven different ways to crucify, defeat the problem of pride in our lives. You're
1: listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in a discussion about the value of three simple words. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, Hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. Most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church.
1: I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Uh,
0: Jen, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thank you for being here, too.
1: Well, thanks. In your morning e-devotions, you're in a series called Davidisms, and one of the recent ones you've written about is the value of two simple words— please, and thanks.
0: Well, let me begin by singing this because my guess is a lot of people heard this in a singing rhyme that my mom and dad sang to me all the time growing up as a kid, but they were teaching me two great truths that I needed to operate all the time. Here it is. Please forgive my singing voice. There are two little bitty words that can open any door with ease. One little word is thanks and the other little word is Please. I love it. That's great. (laughs) Well, mom and dad sang it to me all the time. And my guess is there are a number of listeners out there who had their parents sing it to them, and they may even be singing that to their kids as well. But they're teaching, again, two great reminders to all of us, not as kids, but as adults, that we need, first of all, to practice thanks. Thankfulness should fill our hearts. That's Colossians 3, 16, especially toward those who have helped us succeed. Showing our appreciation further opens the hearts of those who have helped us and makes them further want to help us succeed in the future. Then the other word, please it shows humility before another person no one likes to help another person when that person is arrogant or haughty but humility causes us to be lifted up that's james 4 verse 10 it stimulates others to want to help us be successful not only now but in the future as well so everyone try it today please and thanks. Say it often. Your parents would be so proud of you. (laughs) They would nod in approval and just see if closed doors before you start opening up with ease.
1: This is so good and so simple, but profound at the same time. It actually reminds me of something that happened recently with my son. He had emailed his teacher a question after school hours and the teacher responded back. And that's always exciting for a 10-year-old to get an email. And He responded, he didn't get the answer he wanted. It was about how to recite a Bible verse for the next day. And his response to her was K, the letter K. And I saw that and I said... Oh, my goodness, you need to thank her for the time she took to respond. Even though you didn't get the answer you wanted, let's always say thank you. And Mm. now, from then on, I've noticed he's added a thanks exclamation point. (laughs) It's
0: important. Yeah, even the THX with texting works as well. People just love that kind of response from people. And there have been studies that have been shown in the workplace that people don't mostly want to raise, don't mostly want to corner off. Office, don't mostly want another title. What they really want is a simple thank you from their employer or boss or overseer. It's what gives their heart hope and makes them want to continue to move forward. So, Jen, may I sing it again? Sure. There are two little bitty words that can't open any door with ease. One little word is thanks, and Jen, and the other little word is
1: please. Yeah, there
0: you go. I was
1: hoping you wouldn't make me sing.
0: (laughs) A great reminder though to all of us of the power of thankfulness given to other people, but also the power of please, humility, showing that we really are thankful and humble about all that we've received from other people.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for packaging up these Davidisms for us.
0: Glad to do so. They're available at momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there to begin each day with a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, senior pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both nine and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly HopeCast They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. Have a great weekend.